That's amazing, huh? It is really a privilege to be part of a family like you guys, you know, who are willing to do that before you even build your first building. You know, you guys are awesome. I'm glad to be here. Um, this morning, we're going to study um, another parable. Uh, this one is found in the chapter 18 of the Gospel according to Luke. Um, this parable is known as the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And see, um, one of the reasons why I love parables it's because, you know, they, they always come with surprises. You know, when you first read them, you think that they're talking about something, and then when you go deep into them, you realize they're talking about a lot more. In this case, uh, this parable apparently is talking about prayer, but when you really look into it, you're going to realize how it is more about who's got you covered. Who covers your life, you know? Are, are you in good hands? We're going to find out. Let's, let's um, pray. Let me pray for all of us, and let's analyze this parable. Um, Father, uh, I just thank you so much for your love. Uh, for It's thanks to you, Father, that we're all here today, that uh, we're spiritually alive, and we have a way to connect with you and receive guidance for you. Um, I ask you that you do just that right now, that it is your Holy Spirit who guides us through studying these words that your son, Jesus Christ, said. Uh, help us understand it, but um, above all, uh, help this word get into our heart and transform us. I know this is um, kind of like a, a tricky thing, Father, because many of us are going to lift walls to cover ourselves on this, but I'm going to ask you that you break those walls right now and let us see clearly. We place ourselves in your hands, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Very well. Um, I'm going to first read through the parable. Uh, you have the whole parable, but it's just separated as we're going to study it. I left some spaces between there so that you guys can take some notes. Um, uh, Luke 18, verses 9 to 14, Jesus is speaking and says this. <clears throat> to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Um, see, um, the last time I was here, we talked a little bit about parables. And, and what we uh, talked about is the fact that, see, parables are stories that Jesus uses kind of like a mirror. You know, he, he brings up the story to a point where he lifts the mirror up to you and, and tries to make you realize that you are one of the characters of the parable. Okay, so, um, you know, the, the important thing to remember is that the reason why Jesus tells these stories is to try to move you from pretending to be a certain person to acknowledging the person that you really are. And that's truly important because it's only when you acknowledge that that you're allowing God to transform your heart. So that's why parables are so important. Uh, this one in particular is talking about two men that pray in very different ways. And the question that Jesus is going to ask at the end of this is, are you being covered by God's mercy or by your own merits? Okay, so, so let's get into it. In verses 9 and 10, it says this. 
To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. See, Jesus here lifts up the mirror right away and tells us who is he confronting. He's confronting people who are confident of their own righteousness. But see, the key of this story is to understand what these two men are after. What are they seeking? See, uh, this, these are two very different men. See, Jesus couldn't have picked two more opposite people. On the one hand, he picks a, a, a Pharisee. See, the Pharisees at the time were like, you know, the most outstanding guys. You know, they were supposed to know the Bible very well. They tried to live rigorously according to the law. So everybody looked up to them. And on the other hand, we have tax collectors. You know, the tax collectors were like, to, to the Jewish people, they were worse than sinners. There's even some passages that when you read them, it says there were some sinners and tax collectors. You know, like they, they are in an even lower category because what these guys did is they collected money from their people, stole the big part of it, and the other part they gave it to Rome, and they used that money to keep the army that had them subjugated. So they were considered traitors. You know, they were hated by the people. No? So he's comparing like a, a great guy with a horrible guy, okay? But if you see there... They are both pursuing the same thing. They both go to the temple trying to be justified, being right with God, being in peace with God. That if you think about it, that is the question that all religions try to answer. How are you, you know, what do you have to do to be in good standing with God? How do you get right with God, okay? Now, uh, in order for us to understand how do you get to that point, you know, to be justified, to be right with God, it's not only important to understand the how, but you need to understand how does a person that is right with God looks like? You know, what does it look like, you know, to be in peace with God? And usually, here is where I would try to come up with an illustration, you know, some image to try to transmit to you so that you would get this point. But in this case, we don't need to because the Bible gives us the best illustration of how does people that is right with God looks like. See, uh, in Genesis, right at the end of creation, you know, um, Right after uh, God makes Adam and then Eve, and then he gives Eve to Adam, uh, he says these words, Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. You just witnessed the first wedding ever, okay? God just officiated the wedding between Adam and Eve, and look at the next line. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. See, the, the creation story ends with that phrase, and it's explaining to us what does it mean to be right with God. See, that's, that last line uh, it describes the perfect state of a person relating with God. They were naked, but they felt absolutely no shame. See, it, it is interesting to me that um, a lot of people in church get very uncomfortable when you talk about naked people and not being ashamed. You know, some people would rather if the Bible had said like, and they were all happy campers, you know, but, but that's what he picked to say, you know. It's like for some reason, you know, the, all this illustration that God, you know, God wanted to use about being justified is being naked and not being ashamed. And we have to understand that he's not just talking there about physical nakedness. He's talking about spiritual and emotional nakedness. See, this implies you being fully uncovered, and fully loved. See, it's like being completely uncovered, you know, before God, but being acceptable. 
to God, but not just to God, but to each other, to, to the other people around you. See, there's nothing about me that I have to hide from God or from other people. Uh, could you even imagine if you could live your life like that? If you could actually say, I have nothing to hide. You know, I don't have to hide my sin, my hurts, my failures, my addictions. I can be completely transparent and feel 100% clean. Not only there's nothing I have to hide, but I don't have anything to fear. You know, I don't have to fear condemnation, judgment, or guilt. So this is exactly the way they were. Adam and Eve were in that perfect state relating to God in between each other. Now, unfortunately, that doesn't last very long. Actually, next chapter, you know, in, in Genesis chapter 3, you know, the Bible tells us that God gives them one rule. He says, do not eat the fruit from this tree. And what do they do? Straight to the tree. Okay? And this is what happens. Genesis 3, verses 6 and 7 says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See what happens there? Sin enters the world, and what is the first consequence? They all of a sudden realize that they're naked. All of a sudden they're conscious of the fact that they're uncovered. See, before sin, their nakedness was associated with the purity of having nothing to hide. But after sin, you know, the, their nakedness is associated with the devastation that becomes evident in a naked soul that now has something to hide. See, when, when, soul enters, uh, when the sin enters into the soul of a person, it corrupts it and it changes completely the state of the soul. Because all of a sudden, you realize that you're naked and you feel unaccepted, rejected. So what is their reaction? What do they do? They immediately try to cover themselves with leaves. You know, they try to cover their nakedness. And that is the first time in history that we see somebody trying to self-justify. The first time that somebody says, I am naked, but somehow I need to cover myself. I want you to see something that is very important here. At this point, they're not trying to cover themselves from God. That will happen in, in, in just a few minutes. But at this point, all they're doing is covering from each other. See, and, and this is exactly what happens to all of us. See, our first acts of self-justification is to try to cover ourselves from other people. You know, you, you start thinking, I know who I am, but I don't want you to know who I am. I don't want you to see my thoughts. I don't want you to see my fears. I don't want you to see my sins, my struggles. And especially when, when that special person shows up, you know, that person that you want to impress, that you, you hope that they're going to like you, you immediately start cover with, covering with the leaves that you think are going to be useful. So you cover yourself with maybe your success, your morality, you know, your talent, your wealth. See, what you try to do is you want them to see what you want them to see. It's like you're going to manage the perception they have of you, and if there's anything that may make you look less than what you want them to think of you, you will hide that. And if there's something that, you know, it will make you look better to them, then you will cover yourself with that so you would look better. You will not show your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses. You want them to see you as strong, as secure. 
So you're trying to show them a version of you by covering with whatever you think is useful. And this is true for every single one of us in this room. We all play this game, right? I mean, it, can, can you see it, how you don't share all your thoughts, all the things that cross your head, you know, the, your desires, your temptations, your struggles? You don't share them with the people around you. Actually, see, if all your thoughts, all your sins, all your struggles that, that are related to the people that came with you this morning started showing on the screen right now, how long will it take for you to take out running? <laughs> right? Running for what? for cover. See, we have had people in Cancun that uh, something that they did in the past comes to light, and they leave the church, they never come back. Because when people find out what's in your heart, sometimes you cannot even look at them at the face anymore. Okay, so, so, so this is what we try to do, we try to hide it, or, or think of it this way. See, what does it mean when you say that a certain person knows you better than other people? You know, if I tell you the person that knows me more, it's my wife, Karina. What does that mean? It means that I have been willing to show her parts of my character that I haven't shown to anyone else. Right? I have peeled, you know, leaves from myself, and she has seen into my heart more than anyone else has. But even in that relationship, who controls what she can see of me? I do. There are still things that I might be hiding over there because we control what other people see of us and we all do it. Which goes to show us that, see, the, the, the seeking self-justification is not a religious effort, it's a human effort. We all do it. Now, why do we do it so much? Because it works. Because we can manage what other people see of us and it makes us feel covered, it makes us feel protected. Maybe in some moments of weakness, you know, you, you show some people things that you didn't mean to show them, but our regular mode is, you know, I will put between you and me the things that I think are going to make me look better, whatever that is. And, and the truth is, it is not really hard to hide ourselves from other people because their field of vision of ourselves is it's limited. Uh, and I'll tell you what I mean with that. Um, see, in 2008 and 2009, uh, Karina, our kids and I, lived here in Houston, and uh, we, we worked here at the church, and we would send all our sermons to Cancun by video. So the first time that I came to, to record the, the, one of those videos, you know, we would come to a room like this, it would be empty, you know, there would be a guy with the camera, Karina and I, and I would preach to the camera. You know, I was very concerned with if my clothes match, I'm, I'm kind of like fashion blind, you know, so Karina has to dress me pretty much, you know, so every morning I come out like, does this work? And sometimes she was like, uh-uh, you know, like, okay, so, you know, and that day I did the same thing. I came in this, yeah, yeah, it works. And I came to record and, and, and I was all excited that it was going to look fine. And then the camera guy said to me, oh, don't worry, you know, the shot's going to be from the shoulders up. I was like, oh, so I can come in shorts, you know, I can, it doesn't matter, I can come in my pajamas down there. The, the, the field of vision of the people that will see me in Cancun in video is limited. And that's exactly the same case that happens with all the people in our lives. They only see what we want to show them. So we just show them a part of us, okay? And that works with people. But what happens when God enters the garden? Everything changes. See, what is the first thing that Adam and Eve do when they realize that God's walking in the garden? They run to hide. 
Haven't you wondered why? Why did they run? I mean, they were already covered. They covered themselves with leaves and stuff, but still when he walks, they take off running. And, and when they finally come out, you know, they don't come and say, hey, how about this new fashion that we decided to, you know? Like, God says, where were you? And what is the answer of Adam? I heard you in the garden, and I knew I was naked, so I had to hide. See, Adam knows something. He knows that God can see through all your covers. It doesn't matter how many layers you put on, he still sees. And see, that is the difference between these two men in the parable. The way that they think of God and what he can see, it's completely what makes them different. One of them assumes that he has covered himself so well that he's acceptable to the eyes of God and he can come and talk to him like nothing. The other one is pleading to God, please cover me. Please you cover me. Let's see how they do it so different. Verses 11 and 12, we'll see the Pharisee says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. See, you know what's very interesting? When you hear today the word Pharisee, uh, what do you think? You know, if, if I said to you, uh, I have a few people in our church in Cancun that are kind of like Pharisees, am I complimenting them or am I kind of insulting them? Am I saying something like, nah, they think too much of themselves, they enter the church and float around the room, you know, like, you know, that's what you would think, right? But do you realize that the people that was listening to this parable with Jesus would not think that? When he said there was a Pharisee, they would immediately go like, oh, wow, you know, this, these are outstanding guys. Like, they would not think immediately, oh, this guy is going to self-justify. They would think the opposite. They would think, surely this guy is already justified before God. And if you only listen to the prayer, you know, it, could, it would seem to us that it's a good prayer. Because look at what the guy is saying. He's saying, thank you, Lord, that I'm not a bad guy. Thank you that I'm not a, an evildoer. You know, and, and Lord, you know, I, I, I tithe, I fast. You know, if that was a testimony in church, what would you think? If somebody came up here and said, I used to be a drunkard, I used to be a robber, I used to do all these bad things, but thanks to God who got me out of that place, now I don't do any of those things. You know, actually, I, I get to do a, a lot. I, he's prospered me, now I can do offering, I can you know, tithe, I, I've been fast. You would think like, wow, yeah, glory be to God, this guy's great, no? So why is Jesus using him as a bad example? See, the key to understanding why is he saying he's not the good example are two sets of words. First, the words that precede the parable. See, Jesus said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. See, this guy is not confident on God. He's confident of himself. But also, it says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. That's a tricky one because the translation doesn't help us. If you go to the Greek, what it says is, having stood toward himself, he prayed. So he's not talking to God. He's talking to himself. He's praising himself. So see, what Jesus is trying to tell us is he's talking to people that go to him and say, Father, I thank you that I'm not a bad guy. So he's covering himself with a leaf. I thank you that I tithe a lot. See, because they were supposed to give 10% of some of the things, but not all of the things. So he says, I give 10% of everything. So another leaf. I fast twice a week. 
You know, Pharisees were supposed to fast twice a year. This guy's like, no, 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 a week. More leaves. See, he's covering himself. And he thinks that because he's covering himself with all those things, he can actually be in the presence of God without any problem. See, oftentimes the people that are following more zealously God uh, focus so much on the things that they do that they place their faith in the result of their salvation instead of the source of their salvation. And they think that the things they do will have them fine with God. Now the question is, could this be true for us? Is it the case that we are actually the Pharisees? See, this is a very funny thing when we study parables because most of the times when we study parables, we realize that there are good guys and bad guys and we tend to identify with the good guys. Surely I am the tax collector. You know, nobody thinks, oh man, I'm the Pharisee. But could it be that you are? See, Jesus gives us a, 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 a symptom that will reveal if, if, if we are the Pharisee. And listen what I said, it's a symptom. This is not the problem. We'll see the problem in a minute. But you have to question yourself in these areas because there is a possibility that you are the Pharisee. Jesus told us how you can tell. He says, these are people that look down on other people because they feel righteous. So ask yourself, because it can show in, in different ways. For example, if you're a person that serves in the church or goes to missions or does anything for the church, does it offend you when you see other people that don't serve and don't do anything? You know, that you see them come every Sunday, it's like, oh, look at this guy, you know, he just come, drinks the coffee and goes like here working all the time, you know? It's like, like, like if God had said keep track of everything that they don't do, you know? But, but does that happen to you? Because you're looking down on them. Or maybe, see, if you've been this, uh, a guy that studies the Bible very much and you bought yourself a commentary and you've been like digging deep into the Word, but when you talk to somebody that doesn't know anything about the Bible, you feel superior. You're like, oh, poor dude, you'll get there one day. Keep doing it. Keep going, you know? Huh? You're looking down on them, right? Or, or maybe, you know, the church all of a sudden honors a person you know, recognizes the work of a person and they've never recognized you so you feel overlooked and bitter? Do you ever catch yourself trying to expose the character of other people that it's being honored? You're like, oh, if they knew what this guy is, I know this person, you know? You know it, it, this is something strange that happens to us. We think that if we can peel off the leaves of other people, we'll be better covered ourselves. We feel better about ourselves. And, and isn't that what the Pharisees doing? Thank you that I'm not an evildoer or like this tax collector. He's feeling good because the other guys are bad. We just feel covered. But see, the, the problem is this type of self-covering, it's very precarious. And we know it. It's not very strong. So we try to do so much better than other people when we're in this situation that then we end up looking down on them. But this is just a symptom. This is not the problem. You know what the problem is? The problem is that you have learned to cover yourself from other people so well. You've been doing it for so long that you end up thinking that you can do the same thing to God. And you're going to deal with God in the same way. See, the belief behind every self-justification act is the belief that you can use the same methods that you use with other people with God which means that you believe that God is just like one of us. See, the reason why God hates self-justification is not only because it makes you believe that you're better than you are. 
It's because you think that he's less than he is. And you think that you can trick him, manage him, manipulate his field of vision. Yeah, um, my sister, my younger sister, Maya, she has uh, two kids, a boy and a girl. They're now adults, but she told me this story when they were little. She was one day driving with the two of them in the back, and uh, Emilio, the son, was sitting right behind her. And his sister, Alessa, was sitting you know, on the other side of the car. And while they're driving, Emilio starts poking Alessa and they're bothering her, you know? And Mayela looks at the mirror and sees him and says like, Emilio, stop bothering your sister. You know? And you would think that Emilio would say, oh, I'm sorry, mom, you know, I'll stop now. But instead he said, how did you see me? <laughs> Through which mirror, you know? <laughs> what is your field of vision that caught me? See, he doesn't want to behave better. He wants to know how he can manage her field of vision so he can continue bothering his sister, right? Well, isn't that what we do with God? You know, we're trying to see how we can trick him into look at something else, but look at all these that I've done so I can smile to him in the mirror and keep poking my sister underneath, you know? The reality is that if I go to God seeking for justification, but I try to cover myself with anything, anything that I've done, what's gonna happen is I'm gonna go away as naked as I arrived, but not justified. And see, the tax collector somehow knows this. And he comes up with this simple but powerful prayer that will get him justified. Look at what he says. Verse 13 says, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, there's a couple of things that this guy knows. He knows that God can see everything. See, this is why he doesn't even look up to heaven. You know, he, he's afraid to even get close to the front of the temple. The Pharisees at the very front. The tax collector doesn't even want to go forward because he knows he's being seen completely by God and he has this reverent fear of God, which is the way all people that truly see God for who he is see him. And that's the reaction that usually causes some people that see him. See, this is why Adam and Eve take off running and hide. This is why Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, when he enters the temple and sees God in his throne, he says, woe is me, I'm a dead man. I'm a man of impure lips, and I'm in the presence of God. Do you remember Peter, after the miraculous catch of fish? He realizes Jesus is not a normal human being. He drops to his knees and says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. This is the reaction that you should have in all of us. You know, the knowledge that God's point of view can go through any covering that we want to put up. And the tax collector clearly knows this, but he knows something else. He, this is the reason why he's there, because he knows that God wants to talk to him and deal with his sin. See, he doesn't behave like the Pharisee, like, that he thinks that he can come and almost high-five God. You know, he, he's afraid. He's in the very back. He knows himself a sinner. He knows he's a tax collector. Do you realize he knows what everyone in that temple is thinking of him? Tax collectors were public figures. Everyone, what, what, what the Pharisees thinking of him, everybody else is thinking of him. Tax collectors rarely went to the temple because they knew, you know, what everybody would be thinking. But he doesn't go there to see other people or to be seen by other people. And that's why he stays in the very back but he's there because he knows that God wants to see him. And he doesn't go simply to talk to himself like the Pharisee. He's going there to confess 
expecting the mercy of God. Which, which see, by him expecting that God is going to be merciful, he's showing us what he thinks of God's character. And, and, and this is something very important because, see, what you think of God's character cannot be different than what the Bible tells us his character is. And what you think of his character is revealed in your prayers and in the way that you approach God. So, uh, has it ever happened to you that um, you had like a disagreement with someone or there was a misunderstanding and you're trying to clear the air so you say, why don't we have a cup of coffee tomorrow, see you tomorrow at 10 at Starbucks. And then the next day, you know, when you're driving towards the meeting, isn't it the most normal thing that what you're thinking on the way there is, you're imagining how the conversation is going to go? And you're like, I'm going to say this, and well, he's going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and you start thinking that way. If you think that that person is a loving, civilized, mature person, the conversation you imagine goes in one way. But if you think this person is a hateful, immature, you know, person, then the conversation you're imagining is completely different, right? Well, the same thing happens when you go in prayer to God. If what you're thinking on the way there is like, there is no way that I can come and just show him all my sin because he's going to be so disappointed. He's going to look at me and say like, didn't we talk about this last week? You here again? What was I thinking when I saved you? You know, like, if you think that way, you know, you are revealing what you think of the character of God. See, the problem is not that you don't see your heart clearly. The problem is that you don't see his heart clearly. He didn't just give you spiritual eyes to see your heart, but to see his and understand that he loves you like a father. And what he wants is to have you close to him. But if you don't go to him because you're only seeing your heart and you're afraid of what he's going to say, you get stuck where you are. You're only going to be having conversations with yourself about sin. You have to be honest and transparent and come open, confessing. And this is what this guy does. And this is why the end of his prayer is, I'm a sinner. That's all he says. See, that's all he says. Um, just think of it this way. Imagine what would be the thing that you most would like to hide from everyone else and from God. Well, this guy knows that perfectly well about himself and he is not going to hide it. He doesn't try to distance himself from it. He owns it. He comes and says, God, I know you see me. I need your mercy. I am a sinner. And it is, you know, the, the, the honesty of this guy, the way that he sees his heart, you know, that he, he acknowledges that he's sinning without trying to dress up even his sin. Because sometimes we try to dress up our sin. Instead of saying, I'm a sinner, we say, I'm a repentant sinner. I am working very hard sinner. I'm a, you know, like we try to cover it with something. But this, that's just another leaf that you're trying to use to cover yourself. But this tax collector doesn't do that. He comes and says, God, I am here in your presence. I know you see me clearly. I am a sinner. I know what everyone else here thinks of me. And I know that they are right. So please, Lord. I need your mercy because I am a sinner. And you know what's very interesting? Um, the word that, uh, it, it just says, you know, have mercy on me. The word that we uh, have there as mercy, it's a word that is very hard to translate. Because what, what the word that, that Jesus decided to use is a noun that was turned into a verb. You know what I mean? For example, um, the word text, you know, it's a noun. A text is a thing. 
But nowadays with our technology, you say, I'm texting. So you just turn it into a verb, right? Well, that's exactly what this tax collector just did. See, he used the word mercy sit, which is a thing, but he turned it into a verb. Let me explain what that is. See, in the temple in Jerusalem, there was a place called um, the Holy of Holies. That was the most sacred place, okay? And inside the Holy of Holies was the presence of God, but there they had the Ark of the Covenant, and inside the Ark they had the scrolls of the law, okay? Uh, the Jewish people knew that God saw them as lawbreakers, you know, as sinners. And that's why, see, on top of the Ark, there was this thing that in some versions of the Bible was, uh, was translated as the atonement cover, but the original Hebrew translation is mercy seat. It's the mercy seat of God. Once a year, the high priest would enter the, in this holy of holies, and he would cover the mercy seat with the blood of a lamb, okay? And then when he did that, the Jewish people knew that God didn't see them anymore as lawbreakers because they were covered by the blood of that lamb on the mercy seat, Okay, when the, when the blood covered the seat, it covered all the sins of all the people, okay? So the tax collector, just, just look at what he's doing. He cannot enter the Holy of Holies. He knows he's not allowed. But in his mind, in his prayer, he's standing right next to it. And he's saying to God, will you mercy seat me? You know, will you cover with the blood of a lamb, you know, this seat for me? Will you cover all my sins? So this guy lives justified by God. Now, you have to realize the difference between that guy and us. Because that man could only see the shadow of the spiritual realities of what happened in heaven when Jesus Christ went to the cross. We see on this side of redemption, and what we should see is what Jesus did on the cross down here was doing something amazing in heaven. Now, I want you to see this in, um, in Hebrews, not on your program, you can read it on the screen. Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12 says this. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now here already, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most high place once for all by his own blood Therefore, obtaining uh, eternal redemption. See, while he, when he went to the cross down here, he was doing exactly the same thing that this guy is praying for, but in the real tabernacle, the one that is in heaven. And that is our prayer, because we see from this side of redemption. So our prayer has to be, Father, please cover me with the mercy seat of your son, not just the blood of a lamb, but with the blood of the lamb. Because the, the, the picture that the Bible is painting for us at the cross is something amazing. See, Jesus is on the cross, sacrificed naked in front of God, but feeling absolutely no shame. Absorbed all the sins of the world, and he's naked in front of God, not feeling ashamed. What for? So that you and I can go to God without covering ourselves with anything. And we can be assured that he's going to see our nakedness and what he's going to do is cover it with his mercy. The mercy that comes from the blood of God. If we go to him and we try to put anything between he and us, 
You know, we are not going to be justified. We're just going to be pretending. We are never going to allow him to change us. Because it's only when we take those covers off and we let ourselves be honest to ourselves and know that he sees them, we are allowing him to change us. So we need to go and say, Father, I know that you are who you say you are. And I know who you say that I am. Please cover me with the mercy seat of your blood the one that happened in the tabernacle in heaven. This is why the parable ends like this in verse 14. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humble and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then we can be from then on naked and unashamed. So the question is, what is covering you? Are you truly covered by his mercy? Or are you trying to cover yourself? See, the, the, the beauty of the gospel is the fact that that part that you're most ashamed, that you're always trying to cover from everyone else, God knows it and loves you anyway. See, that's the beauty of this. God loves you today. He doesn't love a future version of you. He loves you right now. And what he wants is for you to be honest enough to peel those leaves so he can transform you. See, the tax collector is, is just a fictional character in a story that Jesus told. But we have to assume that this guy was there in the temple because he finally opened the eyes to what he was. And he was disgusted with himself. So he came and said, please have mercy on me. I'm just being honest here. Lord, please have mercy on me. So if you want to have that kind of justification, you have to take a good look at the mirror that is this parable and be honest with yourself. Am I going to pray like the Pharisee or am I really going like the tax collector? Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you so much for your word today, Father. And... Um, I ask you, Lord, that um, you truly help us see ourselves the way that we really are. I think that we have been trained uh, for so many years since we were kids to cover ourselves from other people, Father, that we now do it without even thinking. And the worst is that uh, that is part of the reasons for our relationships not working with the people around us. And I'm going to ask you, Lord, that you're going to help us peel those leaves that you will give us the maturity to love the people the way they are, trusting that you are working in their hearts and that's going to help us become closer together. But also, Father, that we will realize that you truly see us the way we are and that we don't need to hide anything from you, that we can just come to you, open our hearts and say, have mercy on me, Lord. I am a sinner. We all are, Father. And we want to place ourselves in that place where you can transform us. Radically transform this church, Father, so that we can have the impact that you're expecting from all of us. We place ourselves completely in your hands. Have mercy on us, Father. We're all sinners. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.